0: Our second reading this morning comes from Second Timothy, Chapter Four, Verses Six through Eight, and Verses Sixteen through Eighteen. And my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To, be, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, um, I know that uh, for many of you by this point, this is going to sound redundant, but however, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, as a reminder, as we have been making our way through First and 2 Timothy over the last couple of months, we have noticed and been discussing this theme that Paul brings out to Timothy about passing on a legacy of faith. Uh, we also noted how he tells us that a legacy of faith is born out of the fact that Christ came into the world for the purpose of saving sinners. But also, out of a desire to pass on and to proclaim the true Orthodox gospel of the Lord Jesus to the next generation. And so for today, I want to focus in on just a few details that Paul brings out only in verse 6. So that's where we're going to hang out, is just that very first verse there in your bulletin. Because... I see how it not only informs the rest of this text, but also how it informs how we are to pass on a legacy of faith. And so, again, with that idea of a legacy of faith in mind, right? Paul simply states this in verse 6. He just says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. So this phrase of drink offering should at the very least be immediately familiar to a few people in the room who hang out at Ethan and Danielle's on Sunday nights for Bible study because Ethan walked that group through this very same phrase in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. And he did a great job, right? So props. But there in Philippians 2, Paul tells the Philippian church that he was willing to be a drink offering for them. And again, Ethan did a great job at explaining what this phrase meant in the context of Philippians. But really interestingly there, Paul's statement in Philippians is only kind of a part one because here in our text we get part two. So while Paul was more than willing to be poured out as a drink offering for the Philippians, now his time for his departure, for his death, for his being poured out is now upon him. And so Paul was not only willing to suffer martyrdom for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church, but also he was now gladly embracing it. Because it was very clear to him that God had now ordained it to be so. But just to consider what this verse means, because as I mentioned, I think, I think this verse illuminates not only the entirety of our text, but also helps to give us some clarity on how we are to pass on a legacy of faith. So Paul again here says, again, I am, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And this phrase, at least when I was looking at this text, you kind of realize, I need, to, I need to hang on for a minute because drink offering is not something that we talk about all that often. right? It's not something that comes up during our regular conversations, unless maybe we're talking about the Eucharist. And so let's ask the question, what, what does Paul mean when he uses this phrase? Right? What, what's going through his mind when he says drink offering? And even more so when we start to consider that, what is a drink offering and how does it relate to Paul and his martyrdom and his death? Well, to consider this well, what we have to do is we have to do some biblical theology, right? We've got to back out. So kind of like how, just to illustrate, if you're wanting to understand why Christ Community Church is the way that it is, you don't just look at Christ Community Church in this very moment, right? You have to understand Christ Community Church and its history, right? Why do we do things the way that we do? Why are we located where we are? If you understand our history, you know why we're here, right? You understand why we do things the way that we do. So we have to look at the broader context, and so honestly, doing this is really kind of a way in which the fathers look at Scripture, right? They don't just consider Paul's immediate context in 2 Timothy, right? He's in prison. We know it's his last letter. We know these things, but the fathers would also, and a good biblical theologian would also understand that there's more going on and in informing this text than just Paul being in prison and writing his last letter to Timothy. And so the fathers would look at it this way. So they're understanding that Paul is informed by all of Scripture throughout his entire life and how it was interconnected. And so then let's ask the question to understand this better. What do we know about Paul? Right? How can Paul help us understand what he means by a drink offering? Well, we know that, of course, he was a believer in Christ, hence his experience on the Damascus Road, but it goes even further than that. Right? He was also a, an apostle. That's why we call him the Apostle Paul. Right? But we also know that Paul was a Pharisee at one time. Well, that tells us something, right? He even writes in one place that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he was a good Hebrew, right? So we know being a Pharisee, this means he was a Jewish teacher. That gives us some more context, right? We also know that being a teacher, he was also a keeper of the law. Now that tells us something. That's a word that's familiar. So maybe then when he's coming here at drink offering, maybe then he has the Old Testament in mind because Paul's still helping write the New Testament. So the Old Testament is the scriptures that he's using. So let's go to the law maybe this drink offering is mentioned in the law. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to flip with me, we're going to spend the majority of the rest of our of our morning in the Torah. So go to the first five books of the Bible. And the first place we will go will be the book of Exodus. So if you don't know where Exodus is, that's fine, right? You go to the very beginning of your Bible. Go to Genesis, skip 52 chapters, and then you're in Exodus, right? But then we're going to go all the way to chapter 29. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 29. And we're going to pick up in verses 38 through 46. And so as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context to this passage. The context here is very simple. The context in all of these is going to be very simple. Here, this is the consecration of the first priests of Israel. So again, this is Exodus, right? They have left Egypt. They're in the wilderness. God is now giving them the order to consecrate the priest for the priesthood. And so within that context... We see a drink offering being poured out. Now, this is a long chapter, but we're only going to read verses 38 to 46. So here's what the Lord says. He says, Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old a day, a year, a year old day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb a tenth siha, of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. Now, this is just, think leaders here, right? Leaders and middle leaders, right? Or, or leaders and uh, courts. So anyway, going on. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. And I will dwell among the people of Israel and and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so here, what we're just reading, just simply... In the midst of consecrating the priests right through various offerings, Yahweh is again – he's confirming his covenant with his people. He's confirming, I am going to be your God. But we also see here in the midst of this consecration of the priests that a drink offering is poured out as part of the work of making them holy of in order for them to do their work in the presence of Yahweh. And so there's one aspect that could be and I think is very much informing Paul's thinking in 2 Timothy 4, six. There's a couple other places. So go one more book to the right. Go to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. And here in Leviticus 23 – hang on. My little ribbon is not cooperating with me this morning, guys. Sorry. All right, moving on. Leviticus 23. So here's the second place where we see something that's informing Paul's thinking. And again, the context is simple. This is the order of the Feast of the first fruits, and how it is to be celebrated. So, the Feast of First Fruits, if you don't know, is simply just the feast. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the feast of the first harvest that is offered to the Lord every year. So, here is what God says, starting in verse 9 of chapter 23. He says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall neither eat bread nor nor grain parched, nor fresh, until the same day, until you have brought the, food, the offering of your God, it is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So here again, a drink offering is poured out. Right? It's poured out as part of the first fruits harvest to the Lord. And if there is a first offering to the Lord, then it stands to reason, right, that if it's first fruits that there would be other offerings to the Lord, right? So first fruits by definition are first but you can see how this informs Paul's thinking not only here in 2 Timothy but even especially in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the bodily resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, he reminds the church, he says Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died and have been bodily raised. So Christ has been bodily raised as the first fruits and then at his second coming all who belong to him will also be bodily raised. They are also a fruit harvest to the Lord that will be raised. So a drink offering here is poured out as a celebration of the first fruits. And we see that this can also be very much informing Paul's thinking. Right? So moving on, going one more book to the right, right. We're going to Numbers now. Numbers chapter 15 and chapter 28. So if you want to put fingers in both of those. In both of these places, what we have, the context is that in chapter 15, this is, this is a passage surrounding the laws about sacrifices themselves. And then chapter 28, laws about daily offerings given to the Lord. So here in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that you are to inhabit, which I am giving you, and you offer to the Lord from the herd or the flock of a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, at your appointed feasts, to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord, then he who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah a fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil, and you shall offer with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice a quarter hen of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Or a ram you shall or for a ram you shall offer a grain offering, two tenths of an ephah fine flour, mixed with a third of a hen of oil, and for the drink offering, you shall offer a third of a hen of wine as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This sounds very repetitive, but it's important, I promise. And when you offer a bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a vow for a peace offering to the Lord, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hen of oil. And you shall offer for the drink offering half a hen of wine as a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then skipping over to chapter 28. Just verses 7 and 8 in this case. He says here, This, its drink offering, shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and like the grain offering of the morning, and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So, here again, with each case, we have... A drink offering being poured out both in the context of the sacrifices given to God daily and annually and on special occasions. So this too is informing Paul's thinking in Second Timothy. So now what we've got in these three examples, we've got daily offerings, we've got annual offerings, we've got feast offerings, and we have consecration or ordination offerings. And each time a drink offering is poured out. There's one more, and then we'll go back to Second Timothy. But this time you've got to go back to the left. So go to Genesis. And I saved this one for last on purpose because I want it to be at the forefront of your mind. Go to Genesis 35. And I want it to be at the forefront of our minds, especially how it relates to Paul's statement of his life being poured out as a drink offering and as it relates to our understanding of passing on the faith. So again, like all these, the context is actually very simple. In this case, Jacob pours out a drink offering after Yahweh changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So listen here, starting in verse 9 of chapter 35 of Genesis. So God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, "Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name." And so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, "I am God Almighty; be fruitful and multiply." A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So, you can flip back to 2 Timothy now if you want to. But keeping these four examples in mind, did you notice, other than the obvious drink offering connection, there was another thing that each of these examples had in common. In each example, a death occurred, or more specifically, a sacrifice occurred. And the drink offering accompanies the sacrifice. But we just read Genesis 35. Nothing died there or did it. Jacob, in a sense, ceases to exist in that moment. He dies because he is now Israel. Two lambs are sacrificed for the consecration of the priests. A lamb is offered along with the first fruit offering. A lamb or a ram or a bull or a goat is offered annually or daily depending on the need for the sacrifice. And with each sacrifice, a drink offering is poured out as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so Paul now, in Second Timothy 4-6, is pointing us to a very necessary but harsh reality that surrounds our lives and passing on the faith. Because in each and every one of our lives, we are not only to pass on the faith, but our lives themselves must be offered up as a drink offering as a pleasing aroma, and as a sacrifice to the Lord, so that the faith will be passed on. Paul even says as much as he finishes this passage. He says in verse 16, excuse me, verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Augustine writes here, he says, notice here that Paul doesn't say that he was dying, but that he was being sacrificed. And by being sacrificed, Paul is dying for God. Everything that is sacrificed is slaughtered for God. Calvin himself picks up on this. He says, all believers, both by their obedient lives and by their deaths, are offerings acceptable to God. So let's, let's keep Jacob in mind. This is why I did this one last. Keep Genesis 35 in mind and consider how this relates here in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, to Jacob's renaming to Israel. So in this idea of renaming things, this is not only a religious thought, but really this kind of comes through in our fairy tales and our folklore and our mythologies. But there's this idea that knowing someone or something's true name, its real name, gives you power over that thing. So here in Genesis 35, when God renames Jacob to Israel... He is not only claiming Israel for his own, but he is claiming his rightful authority and his rightful power to control Israel, to have his hand in Israel's life. The same could be said when God changed Abram's name to Abraham or when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. But the same can also be said for every single believer. Because according to John in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 17, each Christian has a true name that is given to us by God. John writes this. He says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The name, a new name, is given to each of us who conquer in Christ and the Holy Spirit confirms the holiness that Christ of Christ that he has put in us. God has authority over his people because he knows our true name. Bede writes here, he says, We are named sons of God by receiving the name of son that we have inherited through Christ. And then Irenaeus uses this beautiful imagery. And I'm just going to read the whole paragraph because you can't break this up for brevity. He says this, Just as the engrafted olive, wild olive, does not lose the substance of its wood, but by being engrafted, it does change the quality of its fruit and it receives another name, being no longer a wild olive, but a fruit-bearing olive. So just like that, so also when a person is grafted in by faith and receives the Holy Spirit, he certainly does not lose the substance of flesh, but instead changes the quality of his fruit, and receives a new name. So, returning then, more specifically, to 2 Timothy 4, returning to our lives, returning to Paul's, being poured out as a sacrifice to God. If each and every believer is to pass on the faith, and if we are to also offer up our lives as a sacrifice to the Lord, then we must, like Paul, gladly and boldly embrace our new names, and our new identities that have been given to us by God through Christ. Which means embracing our whole lives as an offering, as a sacrifice, as a pleasing aroma to be poured out and slaughtered for God's purposes. This means that we, like Paul, must gladly and boldly embrace death. Death to ourselves and life unto Christ. And this is how exactly, right here, this is how we know that so many are so utterly and obviously wrong to deconstruct their faith. Because they're seeking, as David has mentioned multiple times, to dissect their faith. I'm stealing your illustration here, David, so I hope you don't mind. But they see, they're seeking to dissect their faith. When you, dis, when you dissect something, it always leads to its death. And so they approach Christ, they approach the gospel, they approach scripture as if it is something to be dissected by man and to be ripped apart and put under the authority of man. But scripture tells us differently. Scripture tells us that when we are rightly at the mercy of God and his word, we are the ones who are put upon the dissection table. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, "...the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword." piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no one, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This tells us that the word of God dissects us. It sacrifices us. It lays us bare because God has claimed authority over us. And over those whom he has created, and those whom he has called, and those whom he has named, so that he might use us for his purposes. Our lives, and Paul is illustrating this just in this one verse, our lives must be so hidden in Jesus that it is evident and obvious that our identity has changed. And that our names have changed as a result of Christ. And as a result of having been buried with Christ And raised with Christ. Again, he writes, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure has now come. Paul's life is being poured out as a death. So that the gospel may continue to go forward. And so that the faith might be passed on. And so in each of those references that we looked at in the Old Testament, the drink offering was always completely poured out. It wasn't just partly poured out and then some put aside and saved until the next offering. All of it was completely and totally expended. And so should each of our lives be, because only then will we truly pass on the legacy of faith in Christ. Because only then will it be fully grounded in the unbound Orthodox gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so when Yahweh changed Jacob's name to Israel, he gave Israel the same Creation mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, that he gave to Noah after the flood, that he gave to Abraham after he renamed him to uh, Abram to Abraham, and even the same mandate that Jesus gives to Simon when he renames him to Peter, which is simply this, be fruitful and multiply. God tells Israel in Genesis 35, he says, God says to Israel, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply, and a nation shall come from, uh, and a nation, a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your loins. This is the same mandate for every believer and every local expression of the church. Be fruitful and multiply. Pass on the faith that you have learned, that you have confessed, that you have been baptized in, and that you have been empowered by God's Spirit to proclaim Don't let life in Christ stop with you or end with you. Be fruitful and multiply. A couple of weeks ago at the beginning of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, we read in verse 2 that the job of the pastor, the preacher, the elder, the shepherd is to exhort and reprove and rebuke with all patience and teaching. But exhortation is more than simple proclamation. Because exhortation is also giving a command. Exhortation is urging the church to action. So here is our exhortation from this one verse today as we come to the table. And it's this. Through the empowerment of the Spirit of Christ that dwells within each and every one of you as believers, die to yourself and let your life be poured out for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Die to yourself and let your life be poured out for the proclamation of the name of Jesus. Die to yourself and let your life be poured out for the sake of the bride, the church. Each of us, when we have faith in Christ, become drink offerings to be sacrificed and poured out for the glory of Jesus. So embrace your new name and your identity in Christ And be poured out as a pleasing aroma for him. And allow yourself to be poured out for one another. To the glory of his name and to the advancement of his kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.